Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnival and I am the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our hosts, Peter Englert, Director of Adult Ministries here at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. And today's guest is Kevin Maloney, the lead pastor at Grace Road Church. Today's topic, why does having more stuff not satisfy me? This is a good one. Dylan, thank you. Man, that 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 is a good question. And I think it's a good question because it's one of those things that we all feel, but we don't talk about. So, you know, I, I live on the east side of Rochester, and what happens in Rochester is there's these conversations about it might be the boat, it might be the lake house, it might be retirement, it might be the other car. And we all think that we're just having a fun conversation about our dreams and hopes, but really our dreams and hopes say something about where our heart actually is. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and and this thing is so ingrained in our society, you know, this idea that more stuff is going to satisfy me. It's so ingrained that sometimes we don't even think about it. Like we are so marketed to in our culture right now. I was just reading something not long ago that we are exposed to 10,000 advertisements per day. The average person is exposed to that's that's unbelievable. Each one of those advertisements is created to make us feel like we need one more thing. I don't know. I don't know if you remember this commercial. Is Value City a, a sponsor of our podcast? Because I don't want to trash talk them if they are. They, 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 they're not. They're not. But we would gladly accept their okay. sponsorship. All right. Very good. Well, Value City <laughs> may not want to sponsor us after this. That's fine. But uh, if they do, I'll apologize to them formally on the podcast. But anyway, I, I, I remember a commercial of theirs from a couple years ago. And this this uh, it's this young young lady. She is in her apartment, and it's so full of stuff that she needs to go to Value City and buy storage for all of her stuff. And at the end of the commercial, she has all of her stuff put away. And then she declares, great, now I have room for more stuff. And I just remember looking at that commercial going like, oh my goodness, like this is America. Like this is what our society really values. Value City. And um, anyway, uh, but that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about this topic today. So thankful to have uh, Pastor Kevin Maloney here with us of Grace Road Church. And uh, he has just uh, been a real, real big influence in Rochester. And it's uh, exciting to have him as a part of our podcast. So thanks for coming in and talking with us thanks about this, Kevin. Me. Yeah. Well, let's just get started with this. You know, Kevin, from your experience as a pastor, a church planner, a leader in the community, why is this quest for stuff so real? I think we just believe fundamental lies about stuff. Um, like we believe this is what will give me comfort. This will give me peace. This will give me enough security uh, going forward into the future. And that, that if I just pile up enough that somewhere at the top of that pile, there's peace. The, that I can work my way there and and find the piece that I'm after if I just get enough. And and so I think it just, it lies to us all the time. It's like this mirage that's always out there. And so it's that thing that we can always be pursuing. And so I think that's where where the real draw of it comes from, that we're we're really believing that lie that that somehow what my heart is after can be found with with something that I, that I stick in my garage or in my bank account. 
you know, you you said that so clearly. It sounds like you have some experience with that. Personal experience, yes. <laughs> I, I believe these lies. <laughs> and so, so let's go there. What does that look like in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think it it changes as you age a little bit. You know, when when you're a kid, you you believe it's just this next. You know, I still remember as a kid wanting the first Nintendo video game system oh, yeah. and thinking when I have that, that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. And then. I got it on Christmas morning. With and Duck Hunter? Duck Hunter, yeah. Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, yep. dude. And we had the one with the power pad where you can run on it. Oh, dude. But that the, was the way finest. too much moving. Yeah. So <laughs> we never played that game, but a lot of Super Mario Brothers. And so got that and just played the heck out of it, yeah. beat the game. And and there's just that, that subtle feeling that that wasn't quite it. Mm. That it's fun for a little while, and then it's not it anymore. Mm. And then, and then as I've gotten older, I think it comes more in the forms of uh, what money lies to me about uh, as far as the future goes. Um, that, you know, if I can pay off just this next debt, um, if I can, can get to where I'm living debt free, where I have you know, enough in the emergency fund, mm-hmm. then I'll have peace, then I'll have more security for the future. And, and, and so believing those lies leads you to pursue those things. And then you pay off the debt, you, you get enough in the emergency fund and you realize, well, I'm still kind of insecure. Um, like there's there's still more to be had out there. And yeah. so so I think that it's it's the lies that we believe. And then on top of that, the fact that that stuff actually is good, right. like material things aren't bad. And so so any one of those things we might be able to look at and say, well, it's not a bad pursuit to, you know, save a three to six month emergency fund. Um, getting a video game system is not a bad thing to desire. And so because those things are good, we we can over pursue them. And, and put them in the wrong place of our lives, but not necessarily notice it because, I mean, who's going to say we're doing something wrong by by building a modest savings account? Right. You, you know, what's interesting is I've I've thought about this a little in my own life is just how much like I think all of our upbringings really influence the way that we view money and we view stuff like just just whether we had a lot, didn't have a lot. Um, for me, I didn't grow up in an environment where we had a lot. So I, I always had to like, you know, save for every little thing that I had, um, that would, that became kind of a, like my way to cope with that was to save, 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 you know, and if I finally, you know, spent my money on something, it had to be something really special, you know? Um, how about you In, in your life? Like what, what was your relationship with, with stuff growing up. I mean, you kind of hinted at that a little bit with the, the Nintendo, but like, how did, how did your growing up years shape the way that you view yeah. youth stuff? I grew up in, in a wealthy community. I grew up in Orchard Park, um, outside of Buffalo and go Bills, go Bills, go Bills, uh, go Bills. Yeah. five and two yeah. good start. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we, uh, but my family was kind of probably on the the lower end of Orchard Park, which is still very comfortable. Um, but but we weren't the the richest kids in town uh, because we weren't Buffalo Bills. But um, we and so so I was in a town where where most people had more than me, but everybody had plenty. Um, it was pretty comfortable. But then uh, for my pa- my family in particular, um, it seemed like the finances were very seasonal. My dad owned a small uh, car dealership in Hamburg, New York, and so sell a lot of cars in the summer and none in the winter. And so there are lots of ups and downs and, and he was the owner. So there was really no like steady number. And then, uh, through teenage years, uh, my parents went through a divorce and that was a very difficult season and difficult divorce, lots of ups and downs, uh, financially during that time. And I still remember those days, like 
having a car and then losing the car and having mm-hmm. the car and then the, the car had to be taken away. And just all those ups and downs, I think, have left a lasting impression where I say, I don't want that to be me, mm. that I want to be the one who who has enough, um, that, that nothing's going to get taken away from me. I don't want that to be my kids. And and I can almost preach to myself that that was actually worse for me than it was. Whereas in reality, that that lack of stability is a good thing to get you to cling to Christ. Like if um, if nothing else in your life is stable, then you cling to the one who is. And so so in a lot of ways, those are really formative and good years for me in my walk with Christ. But for some reason, it's almost like I'm afraid of that for my kids. And I really shouldn't be mm-hmm. um, that, that God is a good provider. And I don't want him to spare them anything that they need to walk through to know Jesus. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I, I feel like the people that I talk to are on two total spectrums. So the one is if you have $20 million in your bank account, there's still anxiety of if there's a catastrophic event right. that something can go wrong. And then there's the other people that, you know, forgive my 1980s reference, carpe diem, like yeah. seize the day, spend the money, you know. So are you saying, you know, number one, are you saying you lean more towards there's never enough money in the bank account. And then I think for both of those, it'd be interesting for you to kind of play out the lies that both of those, the carpe diem and then the not enough sides are like the lies that they're telling yourself. So I'll let you go from there. Yeah. I'm definitely in, in that 20 million in the account category without the 20 million. Um, so <laughs> like that's the, uh, um, where just to be clear, right. just to be clear. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, there there could always be a little more saved or another another category of saving um, and and believing the lie that I can somehow secure my future uh, on my own. Mm-hmm. That's that's the lie that I'll believe um, or that that if I if I do that, if I have you know enough saved for the next car, for example, then I'll feel, you know, uh, an extra amount of peace and not feel like I have to pursue these things anymore, but it's just the Nintendo all over again. Like mm. you, you climb that mountain, you get there and you realize, no, this, this actually isn't it. That's, it's actually not enough. And then there's the, you know, the covetous heart that looks around and, and sees other people and what they have. And you think, yeah, but I guess I just need to get a little bit more so I could be in their category. Um, and, and so those are the lies on, on my side of things. Well, what about the carpe diem side? Yeah, I think um, there's, there can be with that like a real irresponsibility that isn't good, mm. um, that that doesn't uh, anticipate things that you should anticipate. You know, your car is going to fall apart, and so you should make a plan for that. Um, you know, Christmas is coming, and you need to buy those gifts. Like they're they're all the things that Dave Ramsey says. He says a lot of really true things uh, for people in that category to hear that that you do need to think a little bit about the future. You do need to make a plan. Um, you know, scripture says, if you don't provide your fa- for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. It says like you're, um, that that's the category you're, you're in. If you, if you don't do some basic responsible things. So I think there are some lies on that side too. Yeah. There can also just be a lie that stuff is bad. Yeah. Like that, that it would be wrong for me to have things or to, to save or to plan that that's somehow a lack of faith. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 just having that stuff is intrinsically bad. Yeah, I need to get rid of stuff that makes me inherently more righteous right. than if I were to not have than if I were to have stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting side to that same thought too. Where do you think that comes from? Is that just a reaction from 
from our society like we want to distance ourselves from it like not being able to live in that tension or or where do you think that comes from yeah that can just be like the the contrarian kind of person who sees everybody pursuing materialism and says not me Mm. um but but i think it can come from i mean we see that there are real sins connected to materialism like i mean they're, they're really wrong things that people do um and they can very much become uh you know just like the thing they're pursuing just very shallow people because of their pursuit of wealth and things and so we look at that and we say well the problem is in the things yeah um when the problem really is in the heart but we can say it's the thing so i need to get rid of all the things and that way if there are no things then i'll have real peace i'll have real happiness and i won't be like those other people so i'm, I'm gonna have a little fun with you and again you can correct me if i'm wrong i yeah. i think Grace Road has this reputation of being kind of a hipster, younger church. Yeah. So to all my Grace Road friends, I love you. That's a compliment. So if I'm yeah. wrong about that, let me know. But we are we're aging a little bit. You're aging a little yeah. bit. And, okay. and we're a little less hipster. A little less. Day hipster. by day. Day by day. Day right. by day. Day by day. <laughs> we have some guts with those beards now. Yeah. So I love we're, it. We're there you go. That That's tweetable. So, <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to you, I just hear like you've processed this and so I kind of want to give you an opportunity for Grace Road, for Browncroft, living in Rochester. Like, it seems like you've really pro- – and, like, if you had, like, two to three minutes to just say what you really wanted to say about stuff. Because I don't think our listeners know. You picked this question, and yep. it just seems like this is something that's on your heart and mind because you want something better for Grace Road, Browncrofters, and anybody else. You know, go ahead. Yeah. Get your shot. I mean, I think I, I forgot what he was talking about specifically, but there was a time where Martin Luther said that, you know, society is like a drunk peasant who gets on one side of the horse and then falls off the other. Mm. And so so I think that we can can be like that. Like there, there are two sides of this horse. And so on on one side, there's the like prosperity gospel that says, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to prosper financially. I'm going to have plenty of money. I'm going to be. Uh, the one who's who's got the 20 million in the bank because God's going to bless me because I'm one of his kids, mm. which just isn't true because that isn't what happened to Jesus. Like that's that's yeah. technically not following in his footsteps. But then on the other side, there's the the poverty gospel that says I'm only righteous if I am absolute minimalist, um, where I don't have things, I don't pursue things, where um, I just have the basics. And and neither one of them is is true. Like your righteousness isn't in the amount of stuff you have. Like like Jesus said, like a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. So your righteousness doesn't come from your things, um, and it doesn't come from not having your things. Uh, it it comes from somewhere else. Like and and when we think getting rid of things or getting things is going to give me peace and make me feel like enough, we're believing lies on both sides of that. And, and I think the lie on the side of, you know, I'm getting rid of things, therefore I'm righteous, uh, it can feel a lot more righteous because uh, I mean, we know about the poverty of Jesus. We know that God certainly has a heart for the poor. And so we want to be in that in that category. Uh, but we can still be substituting our our savior with the things that we do. And that's the real danger over there. And and we can't believe that the material world is a bad place because God made it, um, and Jesus incarnated in it. Like, he he came here in stuff. He had a body. And there have been a lot of big errors throughout church history where people have said, because the material world is bad, therefore Jesus must not have come in a body. 
Um, and and like a lot of the New Testament is written as a response to that. Like if anyone says that, then he's not even a Christian. Like that you don't believe in Jesus if you believe in some Jesus that came as like a phantom or just seemed to come. And and Christians believe that the material world is very good. And it was called good when it was made by God. It was incarnated. Jesus came into the material world. But we also believe that it isn't God, that it can't satisfy, that it's not enough, um, that that the well, C.S. Lewis said, like, what doesn't satisfy us when we attain it is not the thing we were looking for. And so, so this whole life of going through trying to achieve something, gain something, put something in my bank account, connect something to my TV, like all of this, I'm going to pursue these things and it'll be enough for me. The fact that none of those things satisfy is evidence that we were, were hungry for something else. So, John, let's have a little fun with Kevin. Okay. Um, I think we should, let's get super specific. And I'm just going to say something that in our culture we want, and I'll let you add in. And Kevin, just unpack the lie that might be really behind. Because I we'll think, try. So, <laughs> so I don't even know what I'm saying. Right. Yet, so, well, so, this, this is great. This so, is, so for example, um, you know, you talked about C.S. Lewis, like yep. the thing that I want, and I realized that that's not really the thing I want. What about, so I want a, a brand new car and just to have fun, I want a brand new Ferrari. Yep. You know, what lie might or lies might I believe that makes me want that car? I think there could be a number of them. One can be status, that, that if I get that, I'll be somehow better than other people around me or maybe as good as some other people that I know. Um, I think there can be the lie that the approval that I'll get from people driving that thing down the street and all the heads that will turn will somehow satisfy me. Like I, the, the pats on the back and the people looking at me and saying, yeah, that, that guy has life figured out, that somehow that'll satisfy. Okay, how about, how about my forever home? Yeah. You, you heard that term? Yeah, term? Yes. yeah I, I hear people use that term a lot now. So I'm just going to throw that one out there. How about yeah, my and, forever home? And I, I can get this permanent, this, this sense of permanence and peace and rootedness um, mm-hmm. in, in a house here. Um, whereas we, we were made for permanence, we were made for peace, we were made for rootedness, but it comes from like putting our roots deep down into Christ and the ultimate fulfillment of that comes in, in eternity. And, and we know how it goes. You get into the forever home and you're there for a couple years and you think, well, maybe a forever home with a couple more acres mm-hmm. or, or with the barn or the wood shop or like, yeah. yeah, you know, this home, it, it starts out as forever. And then after a while, you're just like, I don't think I could stay in this place forever. <laughs> it's just, it's just not my home. And it just shows that we're made for another world. We're made for another home. Um, the, the, this doesn't satisfy. And, and there are certain appetites that do satisfy. Like if you're hungry and then you eat food and then you're satisfied, right. Then that shows that you were really just hungry for food. And there was nothing sinful about that. You weren't like longing for anything else. You you needed a meal and you ate the meal and you're satisfied. But if you get the thing and after a little while you're not satisfied, it's just all screaming to you, your hunger's pointing to something else. Like you were made for another world. You were that hunger was meant to be satisfied somewhere somewhere else. So actually I have two more, John Wilkins. Okay. Because Great. I think this is super just super so I'm going to go with the food thing. Yeah. Let's talk about our foodies. Sure. Like, I, I have to go to this certain restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, what lies might someone be believing? I mean, well, I guess there could be a lie on the one side that says that it would be wrong for me to go to that restaurant or like that, that I need to like go to that restaurant with a sense of guilt. 
Um, and and I think Jesus was big on removing any sense of guilt from the food that we eat. Like so so yeah, if you want to go to that restaurant, go it, enjoy that food. Um, have a good time. It, it God made it and thank Him for it. It's made holy by the Word of God in prayer. And so so don't believe the lie that there's some guilt in going to that place. But also the idea that I would be satisfied if I was always going to the nicest restaurants. Um, not any more satisfied than someone else. Yeah. Like you, we're all eating food and going to sleep at the end of the day, and we had enough. It it doesn't really matter where it came from. Mm. Okay, uh, I'll let you close off since you have one more, Peter. But uh, how about this one? The newest iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a big one. It happens every year. Yep. And so, again, there's no guilt in right. getting a new iPhone. Like, the, right. you can receive that with Thanksgiving, and that could be a blessing from God, and you don't have to feel guilty about, about getting that. But there can be the idea that, that somehow that'll make me more connected, that'll uh, give me more, uh, somehow more community with people if I can, if my phone's just a little bit faster, or yeah. if the pictures are just a little bit more three dimensional. Um, and, and then it gives me the opportunity to, on social media, you know, display my awesomeness for the world. And mm. then people will think he's pretty awesome. And that'll be enough for me mm. um, oh. until the iPhone 12 comes out. Yeah. <laughs> so good, man. Um, so last one for me, but John, you can close if you got one, but um, how about trips or experiences? Um, and actually let's just focus on trips. Like yep. I need to go to the remote places or even just the places that are like my bucket list or something like right. that. What lies might I be believing? Yeah, I think on the one hand, you could believe the lie that there's guilt in going. You know, trips are good. And so experiences are good. Like adventure is a good thing and can be received with Thanksgiving as long as it's not, you know, your God. It's as long as it's not your ultimate priority. So 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 this isn't an anti-vacation rant or anything like that. But I think sometimes we can believe the the you only live once lie. Mm. That that I have a finite amount of time and it is ticking down. And if by the time that I die, I haven't gone to the Alps or I haven't gone to Costa Rica or I haven't, you know, been to this beach or I haven't had this experience, then I fundamentally miss out on a full life. Um, whereas as Christians, we believe that we don't have a finite amount of time. Um, that, that those experiences are good and can be received with Thanksgiving, but I can always you know, see the Alps a couple thousand years from now. Like mm. that, will probably the still Alps. be nice then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> so it's not like I have to cram it all in. Um, there, there'll be lots of experiences I don't have in this life, but our hope is in the resurrection. Like we're going to resurrect, we're going to see the Savior, we're going to be on a new earth. Like it's not, um, it's not like our time here is as limited as as we might think it is. Wow. Wow, man, there's so many directions I want to go with that. Uh, just you even talking about that, I'm like, oh my goodness, holy cow! Like that, that's that reorients life. Like as you're describing, oh, maybe I could visit the Alps a couple thousand years from now. Wow, okay, whoa, whoa, that's mind blowing. But let me get back to this because I feel like this is underlying everything that you're saying. It seems to me that what you're talking about here is that our pursuit of stuff funda fundamentally does something to our souls that we might not be aware of. Yeah. That fundamentally, there's something happening underneath the surface of our lives. You're, you're pointing to all these different lies, these, these things that are yeah. going, what, what do you think that that pursuit of stuff is really doing to our souls? Yeah, and I think, and I think just like a principle for life is that we 
that everybody worships something that, that everybody has something that's ultimate to them. Um, everybody has something that's kind of on the throne, the main thing that they're pursuing. And we always become like the things that we worship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that there's like a verse in scripture where God's talking about a time where Israel had strayed and he says they followed vanity and became vain. Um, or, or people are carving idols and they're becoming like mm-hmm. them. And so, so whatever it is that's ultimate to us, we become like that thing. We start to take on some of the features of that thing. And so you'll see it with people who are um, just obsessed with money. They can, they can get to where all of their friendships are just very transactional that, you know, anytime you get together with them, they're trying to sell you their thing um, that, that they look at you as dollars and cents. They, you know, they want to know the house you live in, the car you drive, they're sizing you up based on your money. Like the thing that's ultimate to them really shapes and makes much more shallow their, their relationships. Um, and I think when we pursue stuff as ultimate, we just automatically become more shallow. We become less secure because it can't secure. Um, we, we look at all the wrong things. We, we start pursuing all the wrong things. It just, we always become like the gods that we serve. And so, so if we are serving stuff, we, we become more and more like it. And, and that's always for the worst for our souls. You know, so, you know, we, our listeners are, are somewhere in their twenties and, um, I'm going to be mildly transparent, but I just want to hear actually both of your responses to this. So, you know, it took my wife and I four years to get pregnant yeah. and to have a child. And, you know, it's funny if I was talking to someone else and they were like, well, I'm not going to get married till I have enough money in my bank account, or I'm not going to have a child till we're here. And like, you hear all these things. And <clears throat> I can remember in those four years, I wouldn't say they were difficult. They weren't easy, but there was, I mean, if I'm truly honest, there was a little part of me and I love my daughter Haley. So just hear this out. There was a little part of me that when I found out that Robin wasn't pregnant, it was like, I have another 10 months. Sure. Like I have another 10 months that I have my freedom. And, and and now I look at that and I, I feel so, I wouldn't say guilty, but just like how short-sighted that was. Because, yeah, it's it's hard to have a 20-month-old. But like there's nothing that I could have experienced in those four years that I think would have like – and again, I'm very thankful that God gave us those four years. And even trying – because you don't want to go to the other side too that you're worshiping your kids. Right. But like you realize like – you know. so I want you to speak on the stuff side because – I do feel like we meet a lot of people, they're delaying marriage, they're delaying having kids, and not it's not that all of that is bad, mm-hmm. but I, I do think that there's an unhealthy lie. I mean, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we rightly acknowledge that when you have kids, you're making sacrifices, you know. Something in in you dies when you get a minivan. Mm-hmm. Like that's oh, like, yeah. believe me, I remember. Oh man, tweet that. It's yeah. it's it, oh. it's not a good day. No, um, but it's. I mean, Jesus said, "Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit." Like it's it's a death for a harvest. It's a death for something better. And so so it's true that it it's a sacrifice to have a kid, and it can mean sacrifice in uh, possibly in career. Um, it means that. Your money is not yours. We have four kids and they have like more disposable income than I do um, (laughs) because mine goes to them and it goes to their college accounts. It goes like there's a lot of of new responsibility, Um, but we wouldn't trade it for the world. 
And then I think sometimes we'll also say like, oh, I'm going to delay having kids until I have a certain amount of wealth and a certain amount of comfort, mm. believing that same lie on behalf of the kids, like that, that they'll be happy if I have all this stuff. But, but what do people universally say who go on missions trips to impoverished areas? They always come back saying those people have nothing and they're so content. Right. So we believe that for people in other countries. What if our kids have seasons where they have very little? They can be really content. Like they can be very, very happy. And so, so the idea that my kids won't be happy unless we have a, you know, a two-year-old Sienna, um, like not, uh, the, the belief that they need a certain amount of stuff so that they can have joy is just us believing a lie on their behalf. And and we need to just turn from that. Like, there are good reasons to make plans. There are good reasons to, at times, delay having a family and stuff. So it's not that that all of the reasoning that goes into that is always bad. It's really not. But there are also a lot of bad reasons that are just fundamentally believing those same lies of well, materialism. Well, I, I want to come back. Talk to us about the marriage part. So, like... I've met people that they've dated for seven years mm. and kind of my question to them is what are you going to find out two years from now that right. you haven't already found out? Um, and th- it's complicated for every couple, sure. but I do think that this kind of touches on that issue. How would you kind of walk with someone through that? Yeah. And I think the responsibility is good. It's like really getting to know a person is good. You know, get good pre-marriage counseling, um, spend some time getting to know them. Don't marry them two weeks after you met them. Like um, make sure that you are getting a good assessment of that person. But you never are going to have mathematical certainty mm. with a decision like that. Like that this is going to be, I know 100% that without any doubt in my mind that I should absolutely be getting married to this person right now. I think it's very rare that someone gets married with that kind of mathematical certainty. And because we want to be in control, um, because we want to like know the future um, and, and know all possibilities and think, think through all the different pitfalls and directions this could go. We can actually overthink that decision and um, and wait seven years with with a fiance and not get married <laughs> and think it's tragic. Well, if um, <laughs> if I misinterpret the Bible, I can just say Jacob and Rachel. It took him fourteen years, but sure. we won't we won't go there. <laughs> kind of unique situation, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's what's interesting is I hear you talking, Kevin. Is 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 you're saying essentially? If I can't, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but but it life just takes faith. Yep. Like like whether we are people of quote unquote faith or not, yep. like we are exercising faith on a daily basis. It's just what we're choosing to place our faith in. Right. Yeah, there's there's no future for me without Jesus as a mm-hmm. Christian. And so um so that means that all other decisions, even the really huge ones, I can make decisions without the 100% mathematical certainty uh trusting that he'll be there for me in the future that I don't need to uh, discern his will in every situation where like, for example, there might be, you know, three good options in front of us. You know, I got accepted to three different colleges. I could go to any of those three glorify the Lord. You know, everything just seems equal in those three. I don't have to wait for lightning to strike or for a voice to come from heaven and, you know, and tell me to, to go to Bucknell, like I think I can have those three options in front of me, pray about it, talk to wise people, think it through, um, ask the Lord for discernment, and then ultimately make a call. 
Mm-hmm. Like make a call, go to one of those places. And the guarantee I have is that Jesus will be there. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know how it'll go. And I may go there in a year in say, I think I got to transfer colleges. This isn't working. Um, but Jesus is there. And, and I think action ends up being better than inaction when it comes to situations like that. Like give it enough time and enough thought, but then make a call. Um, because we can't control the future anyway. And, and we can't anticipate everything. And I think it's very few situations for most Christians I know where God reveals to them ahead of time, here's exactly what you should do. Like, I think he, we can look back and we can see the ways he's directed our steps. And, and we can have confidence that he's directing our steps going forward into the future. But outside of what he gives us in scripture, where there's like the clear moral rights and wrongs, pretty often there's not a roadmap. There, there are multiple good options in front of us, and we use all the biblical principles we know to try to to make the wisest decision we can. And sometimes we mess that up, but then we look back and we say, "God directed those steps." You know, I, I just feel like you just. So I, I think sometimes we think that freedom is having the whole city of Rochester, yeah, and we think that the Bible is a five by five square, right? But really, following Jesus and especially with stuff is actually a soccer field of space. Yeah. That's that's a ton of space. Yeah, like he says there's the the narrow way that leads to life, but it's a narrow way that actually leads to the broad valley. Like it it is a, there's a broad life. There are, there are broad boundaries and there are boundaries that are there that are for our good and that um you know God wouldn't command us to do anything that's not for our good. We know he's good cuz he sent his son to die, so you know, the same God who sent his son to die is the God who gives us commands. But within the boundaries of those commands, there is a, a broad valley and a broad life and a lot of decisions to be made, a lot of joy to be had, risks to take. At least they're, they're risks from our perspective. And um, and there can be just a lot of fun in the middle there. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people who are listening who who might not say, hey, I'm really following Jesus with my life. Like that might actually shock them. Yeah. They might not think. Well, that does that. They might think to themselves, "That doesn't sound really Christian to me." I've right. never heard a pastor talk about Jesus in that way. Like, there's actually freedom in Jesus. Right. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and we have to acknowledge there are commands, and some of those commands sure. are hard to follow. Um, there, there are things that we do and don't do in following Jesus that we would rather kind of go against mm-hmm. what what those commands say. And so, I wouldn't want to make it sound like there there aren't commands, there aren't hard thing hard things in the Christian life. But it is not all about the commands. Like it's it's all about the Savior. Uh, it's about the like the God who sent His Son to give us life, um, to forgive us, to bring us into the relationship that we were made for. Um, I mean, kind of circling back around, all of those hungers we have that we can't satisfy anywhere in this world, they are satisfied in Christ, and we we don't fully experience all of that till we we get to the other side, but. But the fact that I'm looking for security shows that I'm looking for the only one who's, who can secure me. Um, the fact that I, I want a, a future that is known um, just shows that I'm hungry for for the one who who knows the future and who can control things. Um, the, the desire for control, the desire for approval, you know, the, the status symbols keep lying to us and saying, if you drive the Ferrari, then you'll get enough approval from people. Um, what we're after is the well done, my good and faithful servant from our father. You know, the the heads turned when we're driving the Ferrari down the street, uh, I assume, don't satisfy. Um, and so so but there there is a desire underneath those that's meant to be satisfied. 
And I think that's the desire to hear that well done from our Father. And so while there are commands and there are restrictions and there are limits that that are given by God, those things are given for our good. And ultimately, we get to hear that thing that our heart is after. We get to, we get the well done, my good is fa- good and faithful servant. We get the permanent acceptance. We get the permanent place. We get the forever home. Like those, those are all appetites that we have that we should have. We're just trying to satisfy them in the wrong places. You know, and if we talk about the other side of that, so, you know, I found it fascinating. Um, there's articles about Charlie Sheen and his show Two and a Half Men. Yeah. And when you have a show on that long, I think it was like 11 or 12 years, you know, they finally ran out of material of him being this playboy, rich, living on Laguna Beach, womanizer that like finally towards the end of his time there before all that stuff happened, it was him reflecting on like, I've really wasted my life. I've slept with all the women. I've had all the money. And you know, I, I don't think that we talk about that. And I actually, I appreciate the show's honesty because, you know, I think we all have met people that on one hand we would say, I totally want that. Right. But on the other hand, you like look at their life and they're looking at our life and they're saying, man, I would love to know what it's like to go through the pain of being faithful to my wife, yep. being faithful to, you know, my kids. Whereas like, in the world, we we talk about freedom that's not really freedom. It's really conformity. And then you find out this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think the Charlie Sheen thing is just the book of Ecclesiastes being played out over and over <laughs> again. Um, I mean, that Solomon did that, like he or whoever wrote it. Uh, he said, I've tried everything in the world. Um, like he he built the palaces. He had the wives. He He had the wealth. He had the status, he had the wisdom, he had everything that there was that we think satisfies. And when he got that, when he got it, he said, it's all chasing after the wind. Mm. Like none of it is doing it for me. So he did us that service of, you know, essentially driving the Ferrari we'll never drive to kind of go there before us and report back and say, that's not it. Like that's not what life is after. We have kind of the bookends in the Bible where you have the book of Job, where Job loses absolutely everything. Um, loses uh, his his wealth, loses his family, loses uh, his status. Uh, he loses everything, but still has God. Um, S- Solomon Kohelet he <laughs> pursues everything without God and says it's chasing after the wind, and then has to kind of look, you know, outside of this this world under the sun and say, no, we we got to look, got to look above the sun to find the meaning here. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. I. Um... So that's a great point for us to close up on our final question. So, Kevin, here's the deal. Um, we answer this question, John and I, and you basically clean it up for us. So the final <laughs> question is, uh, you know, what does Jesus teach us about um, having more stuff and it not satisfying us? So, John, why don't you kick it off? And then if there's any heresy or anything, Kevin yeah, will take care of I'm us. I'm sure I, I probably will, you know, commit at least one form of heresy during this time. But uh, no, I I really appreciate everything you've brought up here, Kevin and uh, Peter, as you're talking about this too. I just feel like this is something that we need to talk about just because it's such a major thing in our society. But it's not a new thing. Jesus talks more about money and stuff than he talks about heaven and hell combined in the Bible, which is 
I think, a pretty significant thing. If we look at that, we go, wow, Jesus actually has a lot to say about this topic. And since I get to bat lead off on this one, I'll just use one of his more popular ones, which is no one can serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and money at the same time. You can't, and the word money is really stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't serve God and stuff at the same time. And I like to think in my life that it's possible sometimes. Uh, I like to think, well, that next thing can satisfy me. But ultimately, what Jesus is telling me is that there's really nothing in this world that's going to bring me, as you were talking about, Kevin, what I really crave, which is that that affirmation of a loving God saying to me, well done, I love you, you're my son. Like, that's what I crave deep down in my life. And there's nothing that any stuff can bring me in this life that that will compare to that. Man, that's really good. Um, you know, so this whole conversation reminds me of the story where Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler. And um, I think if you read that story fast, you know, Jesus, this young ruler says, I followed all the commandments. What else do I need to do? And by the way, the passage leaves out covetousness when he says that. And Jesus comes to him and says, um, he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you read that just as a surface reading, I think what you end up doing is you think like, well, if Jesus asked me that, I would do it. And I mean, there's a whole other problem with that because like, would you really do it? <laughs> but the power of what Jesus did was it wasn't that Jesus asked for the money. It was Jesus identified the most important thing in that man's life. And he said, will you give this up? So I, I think about that for me you know, with stuff, you know, am I willing to give up my car? If Jesus asks me to, am I willing to give up my career and dream ambitions? If Jesus asks me to, am I willing to give up my forever house? Again, money's not evil. It's the love of money. That's evil. Stuff's not evil. It's an unhealthy relationship with stuff. And I think that that's a story for us, whether you follow Jesus or not, I think the realization of this young ruler walking away was either Jesus was going to be the savior of his soul or money was going to own him. And as you were talking about, Kevin, you know, the money and the stuff, it owns you more than we realize. And I hope that everybody's leaving this podcast with this idea that Jesus doesn't want to take away the stuff you have, but he wants that stuff not to take hold of you. Yeah, and seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and all these things will be added to you. Um, I, I like how First Timothy 6 says it. This is First Timothy six seventeen. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he doesn't say the stuff is bad. He says God provides it. He says, but don't set your hopes on it. Don't set your heart on that. Don't let that define you. Don't let that be who you are. Set your hope on God um, because he's the one who provides all those other things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and, and all these things will be added to you.
folks, uh, I know that this podcast, I want to thank you for making this far because this is a podcast. I mean, I'm leaving, you know, convicted in some ways, and I hope that all of you are leaving in some way wondering about your unhealthy relationship with stuff or healthy relationships. So I want to close with we are at whygodwhypodcast.com. Just remember sharing is caring. We are on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, and uh, Apple and Google Play. Uh, So we'd ask you to subscribe and also to share that. And uh, what really helps if you could leave a review, um, that'd be helpful for us. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We thank you so much for being part of the Why God Why podcast. We hope you have a wonderful day. 